Well, this morning, um, I'm going to share with you uh, this story, but it's going to start off with a guy named S.M. Lockridge, uh, born Shadrach Meshach Lockridge, March the 7th, 1913 to April 4th, 2000. He was the pastor of a Calvary Baptist church, a prominent African-American congregation located in San, uh, San Diego, California. And he is known for his preaching across the United States and around the world. But S.M. is well known for a description of Jesus Christ known as that's my king. And I'm going to, I would like to share it with you today. Now, I'm going to tell you this now. If I suddenly transform into a black southern preacher, I want to apologize now. Uh, The reason is, I'm no way trying to attempt to mock. I just listened to SM's version about three or four times, and it's now etched in my brain. And so every time I do this, I, I try doing it in my own normal voice, and I suddenly drift. And I, so I just said, forget it. Just, I, put the, I put the disclaimer out now. Just picture with me. We're in the deep south in Gateway. Okay? Just, I'm just saying it now. I have tried this so many times not doing it, and you will just see the, the, the gravitational as SM's uh, words are in it. Now, uh, and Stephen's going to put the words up on the screen here so that you can follow, follow along. And, and we'll just go with it, okay? Here we go. Go ahead, Stephen. The Bible says, my king, he's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. Well, I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's infallibly graceful. He's imperial powerful. He's impartially merciful. He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's awesome. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. Well, I wonder, do you know him today? He supplies strength for the weak. He is available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides and he heals the sick. He cleanses the leper. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers captives. He defends the feeble and he blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. I wonder, do you know him? Well, my king is the king. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring to wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. I ask you again, do you know him? Well, his office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. (laughs) He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, 
You can't get them out of your mind. You can't get them off your hand. You can't outlive them and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. The Pilate found, couldn't find any fault in him and Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. That's my king. Like I said, I'm sorry, I just, I become absolutely riveted with, as S.M. Lockbridge was describing for us Jesus. And you see, out of this series that we've been doing this summer, knowing God is our desire. We want to know God. We want our lives to be built around this truth. What does it mean to know God? And we are echoing, actually, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, in Philippians 2, he says this. Philippians 2, verse 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, my Lord. For this sake I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish. I count everything as garbage in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings and share his sufferings. Now, Paul said this. Why did he say this in Philippians 2? It's because he understood his, in his own conversion what it meant to have a revelation of Jesus and the importance of knowing versus not knowing Christ. See, prior to his conversion, Paul had saw the church. He interacted with Christians. But because he didn't have a revelation of Jesus or the truth of Christ, his interaction with the church actually did nothing. Rather, in fact, Paul was an enemy of the church and of Christ. Until one day what happens, we read in the book of Acts, is he has an encounter with Christ. He has the living Jesus he meets. And he's struck, uh, blinded actually by a light. And he says, who are you, Lord? And out of this, we see that although Paul became physically blind, the truth is he was given spiritual insight. He suddenly got to know who Jesus was. And the result of that, a knowledge, meant not just information, but it changed him. Paul became absolutely transformed because he now knew who Jesus was. And this is our desire for the church. This is actually why we've been doing this series in knowing God this whole summer, that we would know him. Because here's the thing. Knowing is important as it absolutely establishes our faith. Faith is what establishes your righteousness. Did you know you're made righteous by your faith? Did you know that it's actually how you are saved? You are saved by faith. And if you have the wrong theology, you can actually miss out on things. You can think you're righteous, but you're not living out of biblical truth. Did you know there are many people who think they're very good, but they don't have an understanding of biblical truth? And here's the truth. If you don't acknowledge, if, 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 if we don't know, it can actually get you in a bunch of trouble. Did you know that? 
Knowing can get you, or not knowing can get you in a bunch of trouble. I'll explain this by this. You see, I can assume right now, this morning, that we all know Jesus in this room. I can safely say uh, we're all here at church, so every one of us know Jesus, right? That's an assumption. But here's the thing. But when the world and society presents questions that we cannot answer, what we have found is this. I could assume that, you know what, our kids are growing up here in church, right? They know Jesus. But what I'm finding now is this, is our kids are entering into life and they're hitting these questions that they don't have answers to that many of them are actually falling away. When they're asked by our culture questions and they go, I I don't know, uh, things like this, they would ask, "How how can a loving God allow evil? Or how can, how can God give out eternal punishment? How can, a, how can loving, a loving God do things that, like, for example, how could love between two people, in, 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 that sex that's so love and that be, be wrong? That, did you know that? That, we, that suddenly they go, well, how could the love between two people in a sexual thing be wrong if it's love? And there's many of, our, many of our, our young people that this whole thing with LGBTQ, what is that? And it actually throwing them for a loop and how, how a loving God interacts with that. How can a loving God give out eternal punishment? How about the Trinity? All these questions that when they ask about one God but three people and they, and they have no answer. How can a loving God uh, answer a prayer for a parking spot but when you're praying for a child dealing with cancer and thousands are and, no one, and it's not answered, how do, you, how, does, how do you reconcile that? How can a loving God kill his son? You see, many of them can actually leave the church because they've never known God. The enemy can snatch the word out. It can fall on shallow ground. It can be choked out by the thorns. Isn't that what Jesus said? The farmer sowed the seed. So today, I, I, what I want to believe is this, is knowing Jesus means you may, you may or may not know the answer to those questions, but you have a revelation. A revelation leads us not to this information, but it's transformed you. You can say with S.M. Lockridge, I know him and he's my king. This morning, that's my, our prayer, is that we're going, but we know him. In the midst of all this stuff and culture and circumstances, but do you know him? He's my king. And that knowledge is what's transforming us. And so today I'm going to share with you the truth. We come, we're continuing our series in knowing God, but this is, the, the, this is the message this morning. The Holy Spirit delights in revealing Jesus. The Holy Spirit re- re- delights in revealing Jesus. Please open your Bibles to John 16. And we're going to read from verses 1 to 15. The scripture is going to be up on, on the, on the, here so you can follow along with us. But please open your Bibles. We'd love to have you be able to do that. So let's, just, let's read on. So John 16, 1 to 5. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. Amen. Praise God. Don't fall away, brother. Anyway. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when everyone when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. 
I have said these things to you that when when their hour comes, you will remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is, your, it is for your advantage that I go away. For, I do, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And he will speak to you of his, uh, uh, he, and he will not speak of his own authority. But whenever he, he, whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that I will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, these passages, I, I want to share with you some, a little bit of context of John 16 because it, it makes it really, really important and why these things become incredible. The significance of these verses that we just read in John 16 is that they're actually the last teachings of Jesus before he dies. And in John chapter 13 to 17, John gives a depiction of the Last Supper that the other Gospels don't. And when he does this, he gives us some beautiful pictures and theology. He's describing things the others didn't, but he talks about the Holy Spirit. And he talks about the role of the Holy Spirit. And imagine this. This is why it's so important. If you were going to die today, what would be the last things you'd want to say to your loved ones? If you actually knew you were leaving, you were going, what would you say? That's why these words become so impacting, because these are the last words, the last testament of Jesus in some ways for you and I. So if if I know that, I'm going, oh, let me perk my ears up here. This becomes really highlighted because if I'm going, God, you have a word, and I know you know you're going to raise, but this is the last thing you want to say to your disciples. Because this is the thing that I find interesting. What would be better? Like he's, he's saying, it's better that I leave that the Holy Spirit would come to you. Think about that. Jesus, you just said it's better that you're actually going. What's better than walking hand in hand with the creator of the universe? What's better than having somebody right there physically you could go to with your ailments and your things and you know that you could hug you and and feel? And he's going, no, no, this is way better. What could be be better than that? And the answer, his, his answer is, ah, the Holy Spirit. This is the plan. This is the incredible truth. Not only have we hit the cross... And the resurrection of Christ, we have the forgiveness of sins, but now we have the Holy Spirit residing in you and me. The Holy Spirit is actually inside us. In John chapter 14, again, this is part of that stuff that he was talking about. In John 14, Jesus says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. 
even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. Interesting how it keeps tying into this knowing. The world has no clue what the Holy Spirit's like, but you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. See what the Holy Spirit is now doing in us. Inside us, making me in Jesus, making me into the Father. That's what we got. Okay, now I know that didn't get any of you really excited. I, I, I can see that, but he's in me. He's in you. He's in us. That's what he, and it's better that he left, that you would have this. That's what you've got this morning. That's what's holding in your hand the living God inside you and me as we become the temples of the Holy Spirit in Corinthians. And I forget that all the time because I just think, yeah, I'm, just, I'm just a pot, broken pot, a little clay that just, but there's a treasure inside There's a treasure inside every one of us when we're here, gathering in his name. And the the third person of the Trinity lives in you, me, and the Bible says this, we're the temples, and then he says this, what is that spirit going to do in you? Well, he gives wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, the fear of the Lord. All of this is he's, he's doing in you and me. He's making this happen. He produces the fruit of the spirit in our lives, and he gives us power. He's the power that we're supposed to be living in him, through him, and for him. Do you get an idea of how important this person is of the third person of the Trinity in you and me? And all the Holy Spirit is doing when we read in John chapter 16, the one delight is he wants to do, he wants to glorify Jesus. All of these things of wisdom and fruit and all that is for one purpose, that he gets the glory. Not us. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. It's the Holy Spirit that's saying, by the way, you need a reminder. What have you got today? Because I got everything. I've got the Father, and you've got it. Oh, man, I need him. There's a little bit of a, of a oh, I need him today. Because I can't do this thing without him. The Holy Spirit is wanting to reveal Jesus to you and me. He's the one going, I want to glorify Jesus around you. I'm the one that says, it's, he is so good. He is the king. He's indescribable. He's amazing. He's in, 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 and all that stuff that SM was trying to get into us, it's the Holy Spirit going, that's right. And in our own spirits going, yeah, make it true, Lord. Holy Spirit, make it true for me. He takes all that Jesus has and makes it happen. So this morning, I'm going to let a few things unpack what the Holy Spirit wants to do in delighting in revealing Jesus to you and I. The first thing that we read in this passage is that the Holy Spirit delights in revealing Jesus as this. He is, it starts at the very first, a helper against lies. 
I have said these things to you to keep you from falling. Why does Jesus say that? You see, the problem as human beings is that we are susceptible to lies. Did you know that? Anyone ever fall for a lie? And if you didn't put up your hand, you're lying. (laughs) We have a problem trying to discern truth. And I I know this from my own personal in hand. I had this. I recently got caught in what is called a pig in a poke. I repeat, I got caught in a pig in a poke. Okay, you guys go, what's a pig in a poke, Norm? Like, what what are you talking about? Okay, well, let me explain. What a pig in a poke in is this. Way back in the medieval times, the term came when a seller offered a pig in a poke, in a bag. A poke is called a bag. And what the seller would do is this, as you would go and buy what you think was your next meal, you'd buy the pig, take it home. As they took the pig, they'd show them, put the pig in the bag, give the pig. And then when they got home, when they opened up the the bag, there was a cat inside. Thus the term, the cat out of the bag came out. Didn't know that, did you? The cat is out of the bag. Well, because they thought they were getting a pig and they got a cat. Can't eat a cat. Well, well, we won't go there. Anyway. Some people might say, what do you do with cats? I don't know. Anyway, we'll go there. Well, in modern terms, this is called now a phantom's good scam. A phantom good scam is this online, you purchase something and you don't get what you think you got. Or what happens is you purchase this and they send you the wrong product and, and or it didn't, they just simply took your money. This is the most notorious scam that's happening worldwide right now. It is crazy and I got hit by it. How I got hit, well, was this. I was, me and my son were wanting to, I wanted, he was playing a game, and I thought, hey, I'd like to play with, just to get to hang, and he's like, yeah, it was a real harmless game, it's on, it was free, and it's online, and so he said, hey, dad, I got an idea, you can use one of my accounts, it's started a little ahead, so you don't have to start from the beginning, and that way we can play it again, I said, okay, well, I started this in February, and I'm playing this game, whoa, I was having fun, I'm playing this game, and I'm getting stuff, and like, I'm finding things, and I'm getting into it, it's just a little, you know, mindless thing, and I did this for five months, until about... Uh, I was in Whitehorse this summer. I'm playing my little game, and all of a sudden, boink, it signed me out. I'm like, what? And I try to sign in. It says, nope, account, password doesn't work. Password doesn't work. I'm like, what? What happened? So I, phone, I talked to, uh, to my son. I say, hey, uh, wh- what happened? And he said, no. And I went, what? He goes, dad, I bought that account online. I paid for it online. I guess the guy took it back. And I'm like, yeah, I just put five months into this thing. What are you doing to me? And I was so mad at this guy. I'm like, whoever did this, the Lord gets you. May the Lord strike you dead because I can't believe you. T- My son paid money for this and you took it back. And, I, and I'm mad. Oh, boy. I, and then and, and my dad said, or my, my son goes, Dad, I think we got scammed. I'm like, curse this place of lies. Curse the lies. It stole something from me. And I was so mad. Oh, just a game. Just a game. But I found out that this particular phantom good scam, everyone has actually knows somebody or has been affected by it. If you, how many has had something like that happen? You bought something and didn't get it? Or you know about it? You all know it because I just told you a story. So now you all know. But the, the, the actual point of it is, like, I think worldwide, if you took all the people and how many people have been affected by this particular lie, every one of us have lost $1,400. 
maybe not from you, but from other people and has affected our economy. In fact, scams are happening like crazy. What do you do in a culture that lies and is built on people saying, I'm out to lie to you so I can rob, steal, and take everything from you? A game is nothing, but there are things that want to rob your families, that actually want to destroy your, your, your sanity almost. Depression is absolutely huge in our culture. And that's both within the Christian and the non-Christian. I'm just talking, this is our culture that we're living in. And people saying, well, then go to, go to get some counsel. But if you get the wrong counsel, suddenly you're actually getting more caught in a hollow philosophy and lose your faith even. It's happening a lot. Jesus says in John 16, we can fall away and turn our backs actually from God's gift. In fact, the Father lies. I've said this so that you won't fall. I'm giving the Holy Spirit so that you can remain steady in a culture of lies. In fact, Paul speaking to the Galatians, he said this, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? They're receiving a lie that changed their entire faith. The book of Galatians is Paul trying to address how the church had received a lie. They started out when Paul came and talked to the church and said, just talk to them about Jesus. And what happened then is somebody came along and he said, you need Jesus and. You need to do Jesus and the law. And Paul came back and said, were you saved by your good works? Were you saved by the law? Were you saved? He goes, no. And in fact, he says, who has bewitched you? Who has put witchcraft in your presence? Because the whole church was sucking into a lie. It was Jesus and. And that's the book of Galatians. This is the challenge of church, not conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And the Holy Spirit is the one saying, I'm going to help you through the, all the lies. It's the Holy Spirit that is, brings you to truth. It's the Holy Spirit is, the, is the, our, our dependency to know in that becomes, oh God, how I need you today. How my kids need you. How everything that I'm dealing with at work or at home, even the subtle lies saying, you're no good or you're no this, actually I need the Holy Spirit to say, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, that's not truth. Do you know how many lies you probably even had to deal with this morning? Little whispers that would take me away from God. Father of lies is saying, I will do as, I found very interesting, Carol said, did you know this morning that the enemy wants to steal? I'm just laughing because I'm like, is she reading my notes? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, why would you put that in a part of our worship saying, did you know the devil wants to keep you silent? He, want, he wants to snuff you out. I was like, preach it, Carol, preach it. Preach it. Let's move on. The cool thing is God gives a promise in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I'll put it within you. This is his promise to Israel. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give to your forefathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness. This promise in Ezekiel happened in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit came in on all God's people. Resting on us, inside us. I'll put you, I'll give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a heart that's soft. 
not of stone. Who is going to do that? You? Going to church, is that going to give it to you? No, Holy Spirit. His Spirit doing that in you and I. Well, the second thing that the Holy Spirit does to reveal us is this, and it's helping during suffering. In verse 2, he says, They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming that when, when whoever kills you will think he's offering a sacrifice to God. They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. You see, the problem with this, yes, we understand we are susceptible to lies, but when we're going through suffering, the reality is that's when we're actually the most vulnerable. If you have been ever gone through deep suffering, you will understand that, that, what I just said. You see, I can believe that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, but when suddenly things are going bad, that's when that truth gets really challenged. And I actually find that I am created both by a soul and a spirit. My soul comprises of my mind, my intellect, and my, my emotions, my heart. And also it comprises of this stubbornness, my will. And we're supposed to love the Lord God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? But are you supposed to live by the Spirit or by your soul? Spirit. But the problem is, our culture is telling us, go by your soul, go by your feelings, go what you feel like. And the problem with that rationale is it's dangerous, Going by what you feel is not a good indication of maybe that's a good way to live. And yet, our culture is actually telling you that. Do what feels good. You see, our, our souls are eternal, but they actually are connected to the Spirit. And what's supposed to happen is to walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. Whoa. What does that mean? That means literally somehow the Holy Spirit's helping me with my, my, my mind, loving him with my mind. I'm not supposed to disconnect my brain from loving God. I'm not also supposed to disconnect my heart. I love it that when we love God with all our heart, we are passionate. We love being just as crazy as I, when I'm at watching a football game and you know, Luke and I can understand we're watching football. And like, yeah, I'm allowed to do that at church. You know that? Because I'm allowed to be, love him with my heart. But I also have to do it within my will. But here's the crazy thing. Those things do not determine. Because what happens when things go bad? I'll give you an example of this. This is the the Bible saying we're not being led by our flesh, but out by the Spirit. And we're not led by our feelings. Because there's a, a story about a guy named Job. Job was a righteous man. And after losing his wealth, losing his kids, finally losing his own personal health, His wife gives him the best advice. Curse God and die. Now, I don't know. There is the building up and edifying one another, but I don't know if if my wife turned to me and said, you know, Norm, it's just time for us to die. Just curse God and die. I think at this point, even Job, he says, no, I can't do that. That's crazy talk. But as Job goes along in the story, and as this goes on, guess what? With all the stuff that's going on, he starts getting actually angry, going, why, God, has this happened? 
Why is this? And where are you? And then friends come along and try to give him, well, maybe you've sinned. Maybe, and the story continues. And this and this and this. And he's actually getting angry with God. And he goes, God, why won't you answer me? Why would you not this? And maybe I was, should have died and all this. He goes, and you read that book until finally God speaks to him. He hears from, I, I, for us, it's, you need, we need to hear the Holy Spirit in the middle of suffering. Because when we're facing trials, we say, is this fate? Is it chance? Is it bad luck? Is it some sort of divine judgment? Are we pawns in some larger cosmic wager? Why is this happening? Ever, anyone ever asked that question? Oh, yeah. In fact, all of us, if you are a Christian, and you have suffered, will have asked that question. And you're not satisfied with the debate of a friend. You really need God to speak. And what happens out of the world when this is what the Lord says to Job. In Job 42, and I'm going to read from the message because it's, it's just really captivates us. Job answered God, I'm convinced you can, do, you can do anything and everything. So Job is answering God after God had answered him. Nothing and no one can upset your plans. You asked, who is this that muddies the water, ignorantly confusing the issue, second-guessing my purposes? I admit it, I was the one. I've been questioning you, God. I babbled on about things far beyond me, made small talk about wonders way over my head. And you told me, listen and let me do the talking. Let me ask the questions. And you gave the answers. I admit, I once lived by rumors of you. And now, all I have, I have it at first hand. For my own eyes and ears, I'm sorry, forgive me. I'll never do that again. I promise I'll never again live on crust of hearsay and crumbs of rumor. Understanding that all that Job, when he heard God and connected with him, suddenly he goes, I can understand why this suffering has happened and I'm okay. He's actually a parallel with Jesus who says on the cross, Father, I wish to take this cup away from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I still see you as God. That's what Job does. Because he heard God in the whirlwind. Interesting, a whirlwind. The Holy Spirit speaking to Job. Hmm. You see, if it isn't for Emmanuel coming, the word of God, we would look to suffering and ask why, but it's actually the cross in Jesus that I get some of the really good answers. You see, death isn't the end. Look what happened to my son, is what Jesus, the Father says. The Holy Spirit says, look what I can do, even in death, even in suffering. I can actually work everything for good for those who love me. I'm actually the resurrection and the life. Do you believe it? Do you know me as that? Do you know I'm a resurrection? I, I love this because this past uh, month, it was in month of, uh, well, just the beginning of August, Lynn Musgrove went to pass, or she, she passed uh, away and she, she went to go see the Lord. And we were at her funeral. And I'm going to close with this illustration, this thought, because it just was amazing. Um, Lynn, as Ken was sharing his eulogy and, and, and message about her, if you don't know Lynn, Lynn has been a part of Gateway for years. In fact, she was here right when he, they were even building the, the first school. And Ken has this picture of Lynn standing there as they're doing the shoveling and building, and she's sitting there with a cane at the, even at that point. 
back in 1985. She was dealing with suffering back then. Um, she has a list of ailments. In fact, Ken did this funny thing. He shared this story. He one day, because when he had gone in for just recently had a heart problem, he had, uh, he had to go in for surgery and things like that. He's in the hospital. And he's sitting there, and he was grumbling and complaining. He's like, God, why? I don't, you know, I've got to deal with this sort of stuff, and I'm the pastor. And he was, he was kind of feeling a little out, like, woe was me. He was confessing this. And then all of a sudden, the door opens, and there comes Lynn. And she's like, she, he's like, and she's got this big grin on her face. And she goes, Pastor Ken, I'm so glad I could meet you and visit with you today. And he just looked at her, and he's like, Ain't I the pastor supposed to be visiting people in hospital? What are you doing? She goes, oh, I'm already here. <laughs> I've been here for a while. And she's like, can we fall? And she's just fellowshipping with Ken. Ken felt the breath of the Holy Spirit. He's like, and in fact, actually felt a little guilty. He's like, how could I be complaining when a lady has gone through so much? But this is what got me. I'm sitting at this funeral, and they're talking and testifying about Lynn, about how she became the fragrance and the aroma of Christ around her. That I was sitting there and, and said, Lynn would like this. At the funeral, could you guys just turn to one another and get to know each other? Because she'd want you to know each other. So we did that. I turned around and said, hey, I'll get to know you. And there was three people there. And I said, how you doing? And you go, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a nurse. I'm a nurse. And I'm Lynn's doctor. You're the, you're the, the nurses? And, she go, and, they, and there were tears in these people's eyes. And, I was, and they were crying. And they said, what? And I said, I said well, what, what are you guys doing here? Like, she goes, we just loved her. She was such a blessing. In the midst of all the suffering, we felt such love and warmth from this dear soul. We had to come to her wedding, or to her funeral. Well, I think wedding. She's with Jesus. She has a hope and a love that we cannot comprehend. Facing him. And, I, and she, they said, we had to hear this. And when they got there, they also then got to hear about Jesus the fuel behind that. The Holy Spirit, did she, get, did she get crabby? Did she get depressed? Absolutely. Did she feel sometimes like, why God? Absolutely. But I believe in her was fueled a fire that was absolutely radiant that even in the midst of this, a world did say there's a light in you and she shone in a crooked and depraved world. She had something that was a power that was beyond her to actually have joy in the midst of that. And in fact, still having faith. Can you pray for me, Pastor Ken? Because I'd love to see my body being healed. I think that in a world that we have to deal with suffering, we need the Holy Spirit. I didn't even get to the point with this about the Holy Spirit helping us with conviction. I'll tell you why. That was the last point. He says, I will convict of the world, but I will, I'm going to convict again. I'm going to show judgment. You know we need the Holy Spirit to help convict again. But in this part, I think he needs to convict me first. There was a message that Carol kept saying, do we believe we need the Holy Spirit today? Do we live as if we, he's not in us? Do we live as if one day of the week he is in our hearts and we love him and that, but then the rest of the week not abide and, and wrestle through? I feel not condemnation, conviction. Church, we need the Holy Spirit again. 
Are my kids growing up knowing, knowing him? Do they see it in our lives and when we're interacting, when we go through crud? Or do they, know, they never saw him or knew him so that when they hit the world and the world says, but he's not it, there's no God. How can a loving God do this? And they go, you're right. And when they hit their own struggles, they leave. When they're dealing with all the temptations, they would have the conviction of the Holy Spirit saying, don't go to this, this broken cistern. Is he better than drugs? Is he better than? Only the Holy Spirit's going to do that. And so this this morning, I'm just going to ask the the worship team to come on up because I, I said I didn't really need to preach this. I think it was already our worship leaders were preaching and helping our own spirits to hear. The one song that they said is the presence of God is around here. He's moving with us, trying to transform us and change us. Can you do that song? Whatever we're doing, it's just because I want to hear the truth of that, of God saying, I am actually here with you now. And I don't know how you want to ask God to fill you or how you would say, then, Lord, I want to know you this morning. I want to know you and I want you to fill me. I need you, Holy Spirit. I'm going to leave that to you.